Welcome to the Grace Harbor Church Sermon Podcast. Grace Harbor Church is located in Oklahoma City, Oklahoma. For more information, visit our website at ghokc.com. Continuing with the uh, Beatitudes today, uh, it's page 809 on the the, uh, Bibles in front of you, if you'd read along with me. Seeing the crowds, he went up on the mountain, and when he sat down, his disciples came to him. And he opened his mouth and taught them, saying, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be satisfied. Blessed are the merciful, for they shall receive mercy. Blessed are the poor in spirit, or heart, for they shall see God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called sons of God. Blessed are those who are persecuted for their righteousness' sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you who, when others revile you and persecute you and utter all kinds of evil against you falsely on my account, rejoice and be glad, for your reward is great in heaven, for they will be persecuted and the prophets who were before you. Amen. Let's pray together. Father, we thank you for your word. And we thank you that um, your word is, is good for us. It is, it is good for your soul. It is good, it is good for our soul. It is good that we um, be in your word and seek out what your word um, teaches us, um, that we would be studiers of it, that we would be students of, of your word, and Lord, that, that, um, that we would find um, the, the sweetness that your, word, that your word speaks of about itself um, even. Um, that your that um, we 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 affirm that your law is is good that your law is perfect um, and and so Lord as we seek out um, not only not only Lord just information but but seek out who it is that you are and who you've called us to be in your word give us give us clarity um, and and help us to understand things that that may be difficult to understand. Um, and we, we will submit ourselves to it up front um, and, and trust you with um, what, it, what it seeks to accomplish in our hearts and our minds. Thank you for um, calling us to gather together. Um, we, we do, Lord, we lift up um, the, the, the church um, that, that gathers throughout the world today, um, even in different time zones, Lord, specifically for the people and the church um, in Ukraine, um, Lord, that you would watch over, that you would bring protection, that you would bring courage um, and boldness, Lord, that you would bless them in their obedience to you, um, and, and Lord, that you would bring peace um, to them. Um, Lord, we, we, our hearts are heavy, our hearts are burdened for, for the turmoil that we see, I and mean, we just ask, Lord, that, that, you would, that you would bring peace to this situation. Um, we pray these things in your name. Amen. Have a seat. Uh, this morning, we're in Matthew chapter 5, looking specifically at verse 7, um, that says this, blessed are the merciful, for they shall receive mercy. And so those of you who've been with us um, over these last several weeks, um, really months, uh, what we have really sought to establish is that Jesus um, is, a, is a real king um, he has proclaimed this truth about himself. Um, God, even, God the Father, 
um, in the opening chapters of Matthew, proclaimed this about Jesus. Um, You had John the Baptist proclaim this about Jesus. You even had, in some ways, um, a wicked king in Matthew chapter 2. You had um, what what we believe to be Gentile wise men um, who even proclaimed these same things. Jesus is is a king. He's the king. He is the king. Um, and he's, he's, the, he's the truest and the most genuine king that's ever existed. And so we see a lot of different kinds of attempts to be kings and to have power and dominion. They all fall short, and they are all simply but shadows um, in relation to Jesus being the real king. And here's the thing about Jesus and his kingship. Um, he has a kingdom. He is the king over a kingdom. And it's not a make-believe kingdom. It's a real kingdom. It's a genuine kingdom. Um, In fact, it's the most real king and the most real kingdom that exists. It's a kingdom that supersedes all other kingdoms. And the king of this kingdom is not a wicked, power-hungry tyrant, but as we're especially going to see today, is a gracious, merciful king who does rule with justice. Um, And so we are going to see that. And so as we've seen up to this point in the sermon, um, this kingdom that, that Jesus is talking about here and saying, this is what life looks like within my kingdom. This kingdom is something that we may refer to or that we may understand as as an upside-down kingdom. Um, And so what do I mean by this upside-down kingdom? Well, in this kingdom, entry into the kingdom is not dependent upon those who are well put together. They're not, it's not, your entry into this kingdom is not if you are well put together and you've got it all figured out. No, rather, the way that Jesus opens this, I'm getting notifications on my iPad up here, so don't text me or anything, okay? I'm just kidding. It's happened before. Um, Entry isn't dependent on those who are well put together, but as Jesus says in verse one, no, entry in this kingdom is for those who are poor in spirit. It's for those who come with nothing, who realize that they have nothing to give, nothing to offer to this king. So we're not put together, we're actually poor in spirit. Um, In this kingdom, entry isn't for those who boast or make light of their sin, it is for those who mourn over their sin. Those who realize that their brokenness and that their sinfulness separates them from a holy God. And so when we mourn over our sin, this isn't just, this isn't only comfort for those who mourn the loss of someone they love, although that's true about God, that he does offer comfort in those spaces, but this is a mourning that we would be broken over our sin. This is an upside down kingdom because in this kingdom, entry isn't for those who dominate with power or aggression, but entry is for those who are meek. Talked about that a couple weeks ago. This is an upside-down kingdom because in this kingdom, um, entry isn't for those who hunger for success and they attain it by any means necessary. No, it is for those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, that they would come to God with a desire to be made holy, a desire to do what is holy and what is just. And so in reality, if if we really step back and we really understand the scripture as a whole, um, in reality, it really isn't so much an upside down kingdom. It's upside down to us. Um, Really the ways that you see Jesus explaining what life is like within this kingdom is actually the way that I think that God intended for things to be in the first place. And because of our sin and because of our broken vantage point, 
We refer to it as an upside down kingdom, but Jesus is saying, hey, this is what a real thriving, flourishing kingdom looks like. A kingdom that glorifies a holy God, a kingdom that leads to true human flourishing and satisfaction and happiness. And so it's only an upside down kingdom to those who have distorted what God's original design was as the creator of all things. And so one important thing, one important distinction that we have tried to make um, throughout our time in the Beatitudes is that these are not necessarily things that we do in order to be accepted by God. Um, it's easy for us to read these and even to teach these in such a way that we say, okay, God is, Jesus is saying, if I do this, then he gives me this, almost as in a way that we deserve something from God. But that is not the thrust of what Jesus is saying here. He's not saying that we do these things in order to receive the approval of God. What he is saying is that living in these ways are not ways that we receive God's imputed righteousness but rather ways that we pursue practical righteousness. He's not saying we receive salvation by, by, by doing any of these, because nothing that we do of our own work saves us, right? Amen? We are saved by grace through faith in Christ, in the righteousness of Christ. And so that's a really important thing for us to remember as we continue in these. We are not, we are not achieving imputed righteousness here, meaning that Jesus gives us his righteousness, but we are pursuing obedience. We are pursuing practical obedience, what it is that flows from those who are kingdom citizens. And so, as we said, let's just say it again. Salvation is by grace through faith in Christ alone. That's it. That's our, that's our position here. That's the way that we teach. That's the way that we believe. Nothing that we say today by God's grace will contradict that. Um, nothing that Jesus teaches contradicts that. And so, as children of God... Here's what has happened. We have imputed our unrighteousness to Jesus. Our sin has been placed on him. And as children of God, he has imputed his righteousness to us. His perfection has been imputed to us. It's like a trade. It's like an exchange. We've given him what's bad, and he's given us what's beautiful, right? And so this is what we believe. And so Jesus is saying that a kingdom citizen bears these characteristics. He's saying, if you are a citizen of the kingdom of God, this is what flows from you. It's kind of like the fruit of the Spirit. We've kind of addressed that before. The fruit of the Spirit are things that necessarily flow from someone who's been filled with the Spirit. They're not necessarily things we check off the list, like, I'm patient today, but I'm not joyful. It's not, it's not that. It's, it's, it's when the Spirit dwells within us, the, fruit, the Spirit's fruit is this. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. This is almost kind of like Jesus' fruit of the kingdom citizen, fruit of one who has been indwelt with the Spirit of God. And so Jesus is saying here that a kingdom citizen bears these characteristics. This is what will flow from a life rightly ordered under submission to God in the way of his kingdom. One important, thing to, one important way to understand this is that, is that our activity flows from our identity. Our identity doesn't flow from our activity. Like um, many of you struggle with, man, like I am what I do, right? Like your, your job. Your job is not your identity. Um, identity does not flow from your activity. No, in the, in the kingdom of God, your activity flows from your identity. What you do flows from who you are. And as kingdom citizens, Jesus is saying, this is what flows from a kingdom citizen. Does that make sense? Okay, thanks. Y'all are like, yes, move on, right? No, 
Um, I, we just got to understand this because this is, this is I've, I've preached for a few years now, and we've preached this message pretty much over and over again. Um, and, and, and it's still hard for us to really wrap our minds around. But here's why I recap all of this. I recap all of this in an effort to remind you of it as we see what I think is a pretty big shift in these Beatitudes, where Jesus says, blessed are the merciful, for they shall receive mercy. I was talking with the guys this week who we do sermon study with, um, that it feels like every week I'm coming up here and saying, this is the most important one. Like, this is the most important one. So I'm saying today, man, this is the most important one. Next week, I'm gonna say that too, that that's the most important one, okay? Today, we're focusing on this one. It's not the most important one, because remember, remember what we said? You're trying to figure out why I have this chain up here. Remember what we said, that these Beatitudes are like a chain. It's not like a junk drawer, it's a chain. One builds upon the next, and in order to... to to experience what Jesus is saying here, I think what Jesus is laying out is, hey, if, if you're not poor in spirit, you're not gonna mourn over your sin. If you don't mourn over your sin, you're not gonna, you're not gonna be a meek person. If, if you don't exhibit meekness, then hungering and thirsting for righteousness is not something that's gonna come naturally. And if you don't hunger and thirst for righteousness, then mercy is gonna be something really hard to attain. Remember, last week we talked about the different angles of righteousness. We talked about um, a, a, a righteousness from us that we would obey God and seek what is right. It is a righteousness around us that we would seek um, the good of those around us and then ultimately a righteousness for us that we can't attain for ourselves but from only from God. And so if we are hungering and thirsting for righteousness, one of those ways that we hunger and we thirst for righteousness, Jesus is saying, is that we are merciful to those around us. Understand? You with me? Okay, I don't know why I'm putting this chain in my back pocket. I'm just gonna put it right there. And so this is why I remind you all of, of all of this because we see this big shift happen. And let me just put all of the cards on the table and say this right now in case you have been wondering because of circumstances in your life. Following Jesus is not easy. Following Jesus is not easy if if following Jesus has been easy for you, one of the reasons that maybe is because you're not living in obedience to Jesus. Because what Jesus is going to say here is costly. Following Jesus, discipleship with Jesus costs us something. And so what Jesus says in Matthew 5, 7 reminds us pretty personally, like we're gonna feel the weight of this today, reminds us pretty personally that discipleship has a great cost. Blessed are the merciful, for they shall receive mercy. And so I don't know who needs to hear this, but this verse is not an easy thing to hear. The implications of what this verse mean is not an easy thing for us to understand and to really even embrace. And so I don't know who needs to hear this also, but let me just say this. This verse means exactly what it says. Um, there's, there's some context here that's important to understand, but this verse means what it says, that disciples of Jesus living within the kingdom of God are those who extend mercy. And we don't extend mercy to God, right? I mean, am I, theologically, Kevin, am I, am I right? <laughs> and anybody else? We don't extend mercy to God, so this can only mean that we would extend mercy to others. We've been shown mercy from God. We don't extend mercy to God. He's not done anything to need mercy. 
but we have, and those around us, some of you know deeply, yeah, that person definitely needs some mercy, right? Well, this isn't easy. Jesus is saying that the character of a kingdom citizen is one, you gotta, we gotta catch this because it's really my main point. Jesus is saying that the character of a kingdom citizen is one that has so deeply experienced the mercy of God in their own life that mercy is then what they extend to those whom it is even hard to extend it to. That's what Jesus is saying. And that's hard. And we're gonna talk a little bit about that in just a second. See, when we, when we talk about grace that is costly, when we talk about costly grace, um, there's, a, there's an old theologian named Dietrich Bonhoeffer. He wrote a whole book on this. The book title literally is The Cost of Discipleship. He talks about cheap grace and costly grace. And so when we talk about costly grace, here's what tends to happen for us. For many, it tends to stay pretty theoretical, right? Um, grace is costly. Um, this is hard to do, to show mercy. It stays theoretical, meaning that it's a great idea in theory, but what does it actually cost us? You know, like everyone loves the message, even the culture, even the culture outside of us loves the message, love one another. <laughs> but you know the implications of loving one another, right? You gotta love somebody that's hard to love. And so it's not just a theory, it's not just an idea, it's, it's, it's concrete. It's like, okay, I gotta love somebody today. And so when we talk about costly grace, it tends oftentimes to say theoretical, meaning that it's a great idea in theory, but, it, but what does it actually cost us? And, and it is when Jesus begins to talk about mercy and forgiveness and loving our enemies that we begin to quickly realize we aren't speaking theoretically here. It has a real cost and it involves real humility. And so here's kind of where we're going today. We're not gonna dive super deep today into all of the implications of this because this is a particular point that Jesus addresses at length throughout the rest of the sermon. And so uh, when, we, when we get later into Matthew chapter five and into chapter six, Jesus is gonna talk about forgiveness specifically. He's gonna talk about loving your enemies specifically. He's gonna talk about retaliation specifically. And so what, our, what I think is important to do with this text is to focus on this word mercy. Um, and to understand what could possibly give Jesus the audacity to make a claim like this, that I am to extend mercy to those who may have offended me. And so here's what I'm aware of before we really dive into that. And we're just gonna address this. Here's what I'm aware of. Notice that I don't say what I know or what I understand or what I have personally experienced. Rather, I'm aware of this fact, that it is possible that you have been hurt by someone in some pretty deep ways. I mean, I don't even wanna name men because that's a, that's a really deep reality that there's someone in here, maybe you've been the offender, maybe you've been the offended one, but it is very possible that you've been hurt in some deep ways. People, here's what we're acknowledging. People are wicked. Sin affects us. Sin not just affects vertically, does it? I mean, sin not only separates from God. Sin does something with horizontal relationships too, doesn't it? Sin affects every area. And some of you may be the victim of some deeply hurtful stuff. 
And so a message on mercy is, man, I haven't even thought about that. I haven't even considered that. Maybe the, the hurt that you've experienced is the result of someone's actions towards you. Maybe the hurt that you've experienced is the result of someone's words towards you. I don't want to show of hands, but how many of you, how many of you, how many of you um, have been the victim of someone saying something that just cuts so deeply? And so it's tempting to look at what Jesus says here and to think, man, you don't know what I'm dealing with. You don't know what I'm going through. You don't know what I've endured. If this is you, let me first say genuinely, like I, I wrote these notes out over the last couple of days and I've really thought about this. And so I'm not just saying this off the cuff. I'm saying this because I've planned to say this. So if this is you, if you've experienced this kind of hurt, let me first say how sorry I am that that's happened. It's tragic. It's, it's deep. I'm genuinely like, I, in a way, I feel that pain for you. And so the pain that many are enduring because of the choices or actions of someone else can be really unbearable. And I'll say this too, that I don't have the answers and I don't even, I, I don't know, we're gonna seek it out. I don't know that the Bible even has all of the, the answers maybe that you want neatly packaged for why this has happened. Because that's a common question too, why? I was talking to my dad yesterday um, and there's a lady in his church who over the last few weeks, um, this past Thursday, her daughter just died suddenly of a, of a heart attack. A few weeks earlier, I believe she lost a brother um, and, and, and she's, she's lost several family members and she, she recently asked my dad, who is her pastor, and she knows the truth, but in her moment of grief, she said, does God hate me? And so this, this question of why resonates very deeply with those who have been hurt. Why would God allow this? I don't know all of the answers to that. But, but let me also say this as gently and as graciously as I can. And if no one's ever told you this, let me be the first to tell you because it's what the, word, the scriptures say, that by the grace of God, I think it is possible for you to forgive that person. I think it is possible for you to show mercy towards the person that has deeply offended you, has deeply hurt you. And so I, I do not say that lightly. Like I said, I'm only aware of hurt that you've endured. I've not experienced it. I don't know. I don't know what you're walking through. But I believe that the word teaches us that we can show mercy towards those who have hurt us. And so I don't wanna speak on my own authority or my own wisdom here. So I think, as you know, what's best for us as a church is to dive into the scriptures. Dive into the scriptures um, and to let the scriptures be what forms our thoughts on this. Because you may be already mad at me for what I've said, but we're gonna, we're gonna kind of look at the scriptures um, and allow the scriptures to speak and to bring some clarity and some comfort. And so we're gonna, here's, here's what we're gonna do. Um, this is a, 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 I expect a big sigh of relief from you um, we're gonna address this actually over the next two weeks. Um, and we're only gonna hit one angle that I think is the most foundational for us to hit today. And then next week is gonna be Blessed or the Merciful Part 2. Um, and we're gonna get into some of the implications of it. And so here's my three points for the next two weeks. And we're only gonna hit the first point, okay? The first, the first one is this, mercy and the heart of God. The second one is mercy and the cost to God. The third thing is mercy and the call of God. Um, and so today's focus is mercy 
and the heart of God. And so we're going to read some scriptures together. Uh, We're going to build what I hope to be a foundation for why Jesus could say such a thing, what he says here, um, based upon who God is, God's heart, his actual heart, not just an aspect or a characteristic of God, but what the scriptures say his heart is. And to let the cat out of the bag, it's mercy. The the heart of God is mercy. Um, You're like, well, no, the heart of God is justice. No, the scriptures don't say that. Scriptures say the heart of God is mercy. Um, And so let me show you this. The question that I have is, what do you think of when you think about God? Like, think about it for just a second. What do you think of when you think about God? You don't have to answer it because there could be some, um, <laughs> there could be some, just some brutal honesty come out, right? What do you think of when you think about God? A.W. Tozer um, says that what comes into our mind when we think about God is the most important thing about us. What comes into your mind, so I ask you the question, what do you think of when you think of God? And then I follow it up with an with a outside-of-Scripture quote um, from A.W. Tozer that says, what comes into our mind when we think about God is the most important thing about us. And so what comes into your mind? Is God cold and distant? Is God waiting to zap you because of your sin? Is, maybe, maybe this is an angle of God that you think. Is it, do you deserve mercy, but this person doesn't? Is, is this the kind of view of God that you have? And, and so in what I believe is arguably one of the most pivotal, pivotal scenes in all of the scriptures in Exodus chapter 34, God takes time to introduce himself. He literally says, here's my name. So someone go with me to Exodus 34 verses five through seven, and I need somebody to read those three verses. Exodus 34, 5 through 7. And if someone would read it just real loud. And so here in one of, again, maybe one of the most pivotal scenes in all of Scripture, this is how God introduces himself to his people. The text literally says, the Lord descended in the cloud and stood with him him there and proclaimed the name of the Lord. And what does he say? Well, he says what Brent just read, but the first words out of his mouth, the Lord, the Lord, a God merciful and gracious slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love and faithfulness. Don't worry, we're not gonna ignore what he goes on to say, but we're just trying to establish something very important. And so where we, would, where we may expect this law-giving God, where we might anticipate 
this law-giving God to really assert himself into his people in such a way that puts fear into them um, and into those who would choose not to obey, you would expect this kind of God with a, um, you would expect this kind of law-giving God to motivate people with fear and glory, right? We know that we are to fear the Lord. We don't diminish that. We know that God is glorious and we must submit ourselves to him and we must fear him because of his glory. But in this moment, where God is giving the law to his people that he expects them to obey. He does not insert fear into them. He says, here is why you should obey me because I am a God who is merciful and gracious. Hey, I don't know about you, but I would much rather my children obey me because they know that I love them than for them to obey me because they fear me. Now, don't get me wrong. My kids are in the room. Sometimes I put the fear of God into them right? Amen? We put the fear of God into our children. But I would much rather what happens most naturally in them when I ask for obedience or I demand obedience is that, hey, dad loves me and he is after my good. And this is how God introduces himself to his people. And so again, we should certainly have a proper fear and an awe and a reverence for God and his glory But that's not what God seems to do here in this particular pivotal moment. He is proclaiming who he is to his people as he gives the law, and we must feel the weight of this. God takes time here not only to describe what is characteristic of him, but literally who he is. This is who God is. Here's my name, a God gracious and merciful And so let's look at another key proclamation in Isaiah chapter 55. Somebody go with me to Isaiah 55, verse six through nine. If you're using one of the the black Bibles in the seat in front of you, um, if you wanna take a shortcut, that is page 615. Someone read loudly um, another key proclamation from God in Isaiah chapter 55, verses six through nine. And so in, it's in this passage where, where our minds typically gravitate towards verses eight and nine. My thoughts are higher than your thoughts. My ways are higher than your thoughts. Or my, you know, my thoughts, thoughts, ways, ways. Um, these are the verses that we have on paintings above our fireplace, you know, like all those things. You go to Hobby Lobby and you're looking for this verse. But Hobby Lobby always leaves out the verses that lead up to it which I believe is the context for what Jesus, for what God is saying here. And so we rightly, here's the deal. Listen, this is not a, this is, this particular sermon is not void of the holiness and the power and the glory of God. Please, please don't, if you're with us every week, you know, like we preach that. This is a sermon about Matthew chapter five, verse seven, about the mercy of God. And what we're trying to do is establish that God is merciful to us. He is a merciful God. 
And, and so it's going to flow, everything we say is going to flow from that. So in these verses, we rightly look at the holiness and the glory of God and ascribe these verses to, to highlight that. But, but seeing these verses in context is crucial. And this is basically essentially what I believe the context to be, that the higher thoughts and the higher ways are not only in relation to the glory and the power and the knowledge of God, which again is true, but the higher thoughts, the higher ways are not only in relation to his glory and his power and his knowledge, but to his mercy. You see that? You see that in the text? God is answering this question in this passage, why would you show mercy to them? And the way that God answers that question is, my thoughts are higher than yours. My ways are higher than yours. You may choose to treat these people unjustly, but what I am doing towards these people is showing them mercy. This is who God is. And so what we have collected so far from the mouth of God himself is that this is who he is. He is one who is merciful and gracious. One, one way that I've heard um, this put, this is a little bit of a book plug, and I always plug this book. We have like 100 copies of a book called Gentle and Lowly. They're free. They're, they're literally like, just like open up a door or look under a chair, and there's probably a copy there because we just, somebody gave us 200 copies of it. Um, on your way out today, grab one. Out th- there's some out there in the lobby. Grab one. One way that he in that book describes the mercy of God um, and, 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 and the way that God's heart is so bound up in mercy is that in the scriptures, God is always ever provoked to wrath, but he's never provoked to mercy. God is provoked to wrath, but he's not provoked to mercy. You don't gotta bend his arm behind his back and say uncle in order for him to show you mercy. That is who he is. This is what flows from him. And so like, what what does that mean? Well, there is a responsibility on us as sinful people. First John 1, 9 would say, if we confess our sins, I mean, even here in Isaiah 55, let's not miss that God is calling us to forsake our sinful ways. I mean, let's not miss that, that God God is mercy, but there's cost to us in receiving mercy, that we must forsake our wicked ways, that we must repent, that we must confess our sins, that we must turn to him, that we must abandon our sin, that we must walk away from these things. These things. And so let's not, let's not in any way miss that, but let's remember that in the scriptures, you don't have to provoke God to mercy. God is oftentimes provoked to wrath though, because mercy is who he is. Mercy is what flows from the heart of God. That's why we talk all the time, and I'm referencing again, 1 John 1, 9. If we confess our sins, what? And he is faithful and just to forgive us. See how, in one way, how easy that is? Like, you think about a holy, just, glorious God, and you think, man, surely there's something more I gotta do. No, if we turn from our sin and look for hope in him, we will be forgiven. And so, again, don't mistake what I'm saying. God is a just, holy God who will pour out his wrath against sin. He will pour out his wrath not only against sin, but he will pour out his wrath against sinners, people. Know that in order 
for God to show mercy directly to us, we've got to address and square up with our own sin. And so if you are unrepentant, if you are living a, a, a life of unrepentance and enjoying a life of secret sin that you don't confess and you don't repent of, this is the side of God. This just side of God is the side you ought to be concerned with. That in itself is its own sermon. We believe and we affirm a, a literal hell that lasts for all of eternity, is filled with real people who willfully chose not to receive the mercy of God for the forgiveness of their sins. Know that. But the mercy of God is waiting. Remember, those who are separated for God for all eternity, they've willfully chose to not beckon the mercy of God. When it's, it's, not, it's not just easy, but... It's easy. You confess your sins and you turn from God and you are met with mercy. But God himself has established within these passages that we've just read who he is. He is mercy, he is compassion, he is forgiveness. If he, we confess, he is faithful and he is just. By the way, I'm chasing some rabbits here, but this 1 John 1, 9, um, one, one thing that we've, we've talked about in our, in our sermon study on Wednesday mornings is that not only is, we shouldn't only see that God is faithful in forgiving us of our sins, but it is, it is the just thing for him to do. That if you were to come to God with your sin and he were to not forgive you and not show mercy, you know what that would make God? It would make him unjust because his son, Jesus, has paid the price for your sin. And so it is not, God is not only faithful to forgive us, it is just for God to forgive us if we confess our sins. And so this becomes deeply personal. So far, we've read some passages that kind of describe who God is in his glory and in his character, but this becomes deeply personal for us when we read Paul's words in Ephesians 2, verses four through seven. Would somebody turn to uh, the book of Ephesians? Um, this particular uh, passage is on page 976 in those Bibles in front of you. Um, someone read Ephesians ch chapter 2, verses 4 through 7. Church, take some time to read the broader context of that at some point. But for today, we highlight this truth that though we were once dead, that God has now made us alive. And so if you are a child of God, if you are a Christian, it is only because of the mercy and the grace of God. That's it. And it's not, what this passage tells us, it is not the begrudging mercy of God but the, but the richness of his mercy. You see that? You see that in Ephesians chapter two, specifically in verse four? But God being rich in mercy, comma, because of the great, wit, great love with which he loved us. This is not the begrudging mercy of God, but the richness of his mercy. In layman's terms, this means he has a lot of it. He's, he's rich 
in mercy. He's got a lot of it. So if you think that God is somehow having to scrape the bottom of the barrel or, you know, something that applies to me, the bluebell bucket, you know, trying to get just what you can out of it. If you think that God is somehow having to scrape the bottom of the barrel in order to pour out his mercy, this text says that he's rich in it. He owns the bluebell factory. Like, he's not scraping the bottom of the bucket. He owns the factory where he can create it. Why did he save you? He saved you because he's rich in mercy and because he loves you. That's why. God doesn't regret saving you. Like there's never been a moment where God was like, man, I wish I could take that day back. No, God doesn't regret saving you. And this is something that we must square with, that we must understand. It is so fundamental. And unfortunately, it is so foreign to the way that many may have been brought up to understand God. In this church, we're going to bring the whole counsel of God before you, and we're gonna call you to repent of your sin, to confess of your sin, but we're going to teach that the mercy of God awaits you. That it is, when you come to God with your sin, what you are met with is mercy. And we must understand this and square with this because of what Jesus says right here in Matthew chapter five, verse seven. Blessed are the merciful, for they shall receive mercy. If you've experienced this kind of mercy, this is where, this is where that costly part comes in. If you've experienced this mercy that flows from the heart of God, this is why we took so much time today to highlight just one point. And then next week, we'll talk about the practical aspects of it. But if you've experienced this kind of mercy that you've come to God with your sin and have been shown mercy, what Jesus is saying here and what he's saying throughout much of his ministry is that you will then show mercy to others. In fact, the best way to understand this verse is that once you've understood the depth of your sin and your need, mercy towards others will flow from those around you. And here's the thing, not... Some of our experiences are like, well, that's not what I feel. So am I, am I not a Christian? That, that's not, I believe, what Jesus is saying. But he is saying that you will allow the word of God to teach you and disciple you and to form you in this area. So if you're in a place where you're like, God, you, you really are calling me to show mercy. I've never had anyone tell me that it would be possible to forgive this person. But the, the word does. The word does say that. And so this is a, a really hard thing to wrap our minds around and to submit ourselves to if we can just be really honest. But this is what I'm just asking us today, to ask the Lord who will meet you with mercy to give you this kind of heart. And again, I don't know the details of the situations that you're in. I don't know what the implications of this are. I don't know how many years you have been... Um, You've been ostracized from a certain person who maybe you need to extend mercy to. And, and honestly, right now, I don't know what all that looks like. I don't know what the, the steps would be, but I'm seeking the Lord and his word. One way that we can begin to understand what this is saying and one way that we can begin to wrap our minds around what this might look like and one way that the Lord may wanna blow our minds this morning is something we're about to show on this video. 
And so we're going to take some time. And when I watched this video, I thought, wow, I haven't even like considered that this is what being merciful may look like. Some of it's just because of the sensitivity of the situation. Um, and so the first minute or two of this video is actually, is, is not really why we're showing it, but it does have some good information. And it's the last one minute. It's about a three and a half minute video. The last minute is, a, is an actual story um, that John David, who's a personal friend of mine, um, shares um, about how the church in Ukraine is showing mercy uh, towards some Russian soldiers. And so let's, let's watch this. Greetings from the BMA Global Mission Center here in Conway. I want to take just a couple of minutes and explain to you some of our efforts about relief uh, for the Ukrainian people and how those funds are going to be utilized. If you go on our website, bmamissions.org, you'll see right there on the homepage a very clear way to click and contribute to Ukrainian relief. Those funds will be used in three primary ways. First of all, we're thankful that we still do have open lines between the banks here in the U.S. and in Ukraine. And so we're able to transfer funds directly to pastors and churches there. And they are using those to, of course, help their people, help the people around them who are in great need. The other way that we're helping now is we're uh, organizing our missionaries in neighboring countries like Romania. They have a strategy and they will be using some of those Ukrainian funds to minister to the countless refugees that are pouring into those bordering countries. And then Larry and Tammy Wood, missionaries to Ukraine, who are not there, uh, but they are going back to that part of the world, and they're going to minister to some of the refugees in Warsaw, Poland, and Romania, Czech Republic, and throughout Europe. So the funds will be utilized directly to and through our churches and missionaries. There are no middlemen. There are no administrative fees. And so everything that is given will be applied to Ukrainian relief. I want to tell you one story as I close. So today, one of our brothers in Ukraine related through Larry Wood a story that a Russian tank actually approached their point there where they were helping people. The Russian soldiers got out of the tank and said, we're out of gas, but we're also out of food and water and we're freezing. And so the Ukrainian believers that these, of course, Russian soldiers, even reluctantly, are fighting against, gave them water and food, gave them hot tea, and even let them use their cell phones to call their families back in Russia. You know, one of our leaders in Ukraine today, his prayer request that he sent to us was, pray for us, pray for our people, but pray that we will have opportunities to reach the Russian soldiers with the gospel. What an incredible, only explained by God being in their hearts and what Christ does to have an attitude like that. Let's get behind these brothers. Let's get behind our faithful servants in that region of the world, and let's help them, uh, help those who are in great need. Thank you. When I heard that, I thought that is not the response that I have had towards these Russian soldiers. This is, this is not what 
what I think that they deserve. And again, a lot of them have a harsh reality ahead of them that they will one day meet the wrath and the justice of God if they do not confess and repent of their sins. But the church that is there in the Ukraine is saying, we have been so radically reached and touched with the love and the mercy of God that when a need comes our way, we have no choice and we have no other knee-jerk reaction but to help meet this need. And so this really, I believe, sets the stage for next week when we talk, talk about mercy and the cost of God and mercy and the call of God on us. Let's pray. Father, we come to you very um, we come to you humbled. Uh, we come to you needy. Uh, we come to you grateful. Uh, because, Lord, there is a, a level of mercy that we um, have been, been called to exhibit in this world that seems to, to, to directly correlate with our own understanding of the mercy that we've been given. And so, Lord, we, we don't just ask to help us to be more merciful, although we may need that, but, Lord, we ask that you would help us to understand your grace more deeply. That is our, our greatest desire and our greatest need because we do not show mercy just for, just for good works or because it, it causes you to love us more. But Lord, would you help mercy to flow from us, um, not as a way to try and achieve our own righteousness, but mercy that would flow from us um, that would be a result of what you have done in us. And so, Lord, we just acknowledge this morning that we once were dead in our trespasses and sins, that we followed the, the prince of the power, the, the, the prince of the power of the air, the, the, the spirit of work and the sons of disobedience. Lord, we, we followed that spirit. And then due to an act of divine intervention, your spirit awakened our hearts and extended mercy and grace because of the love with which you had set on us. And so help us to understand this in a deep, profound way. Lord, even as we come to the table now, Lord, we come empty-handed. We come as people who, who approach with nothing except for our sin and walk away with life everlasting. And so, Lord, help us in this moment to, to, with our eyes to see um, what, what the gospel has done for us. And we thank you for your mercy that you have extended to us. May your spirit fill us. And may we be led by the spirit today. I pray these things in your holy name. Amen.